turn in your Bibles back to the book of Haggai. We'll actually be finishing up our study there this morning. The book of Haggai. Haggai, we're in chapter 2 currently, which I just alluded to it, a special fact about the book of Haggai, anybody? It's the only book in your Bible with two chapters, there you go, with only two, with only two chapters. Before I pull any uh, before I pull any notes up, whatever, do a little bit of a little bit of review here on this. What's kind of the uh, the theme, kind of background of the Book of Haggai? We've been looking at yep. basically yep. in a nutshell. The, um, so this is after, is this before or after captivity? It's after, right? Yep, so Babylon's taken them captive. They were, um, of course, there for 70 years, that whole captivity. And then what happened to kind of change that? Did Babylonians just let them come back, or did something other major event happen kind of in world history that kind of change that. Of course, Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar took them captive. As Jeremiah talked about, captivity was 70 years. And so what happened to allow them to be able to go back? Persian Empire, of course, the Persians conquered the Babylonians there. Um, read that in the book of Daniel. Happened there at that point there. And who was kind of the who was the king of the Persians at that point? Cyrus the Great. Um, you see his name in scripture, several different places and stuff. Yeah, so they decree he decreed, he says in the first year or second year, wherever it was, of his reign, to the Jews to go back. And God of heavens, you no know, basically put it in my heart to build him a house. And who of all his people was willing to go, basically. Kind of uh, paraphrasing that, then sent them back, right? Then it's kind of alluded to what was the first thing they did when they got back into the land? They rebuilt the altar, yes, which is um, they restarted, they rebuilt the altar, got that all done. You can see that stuff happening. History, what we're talking about here is like the book of Ezra, which we looked at that in our study of the kings and everything. See that in the book of Ezra, first couple chapters and everything there. And then so they built the altar. And then they started building the foundations of the temple, and then what happened? Getting back to the, even writing back to the Persians, the king complaining about them, so they even hired counselors against them, basically. All the kings that subsequent, they kind of like having people constantly just like putting, instead of putting in a good word, you know, putting in a bad word, <laughs> kind of like the whole time on that. 
Um, think about that. Jews are probably the most hated people in the history of the world. If you think about that, that's because they're God's people. They have been. Think about that. So they complained back to him. Complained back, of course, to the 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 kings and everything there. And then did they what? And then of course, you know, the the temple work kind of eventually they stopped. They just stopped doing it due to the opposition and everything else that was going. But again, that was something that God told them to do, right? That God had told them to do was to rebuild the temple, but they stopped. And anybody remember approximately how long the temple stopped, the work stopped? Okay. About 15 years that the work had stopped. Think about that. That's a long time. It's half my life now. That's a uh, quite a long time. Think about that. And then we see Haggai's message here is dated for us. In chapter 1, verse 1, we see, it says, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, says, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet. Again, that's where we get the 15 years from, about from, um, just from the dating and then of what we know from history of the, the dates, the kings of Persia and all that kind of good stuff there. So Haggai, is, the Lord sends him on the scene here, Basically, what was kind of his message that he was giving to him from the Lord? Several different things, but. There's kind of one phrase that you see several times. We'll see it a couple more times again in this lesson. But you see it, I think, twice in chapter 1. It's kind of uh, it's three words. Can anybody remember? What that is, look about, and I think you see it in verse 5. You'll see it in verse 7. Consider your ways. Consider your ways that God says to him. You see it twice in chapter 1, and then I think you'll see it three times again this morning. Um, at least that idea. Consider what's going on. Consider your ways. And of course, the Lord kind of, what's kind of the charge that the Lord kind of brings against him here? A couple different things, but I remember... Some of them from chapter 1. They kind of had misplaced... Misplaced kind of word I'm thinking of. Misplaced priorities, right? There's no gods and uh, You see it in verse 2. That's kind of the one I just said. It's kind of a little bit later. Verse 2, you see... Um, kind of another one starts the P as well. Procrastination, right? The time's not come. No, it's not time. It's not the time to do it. And you see their misplaced priorities further down. It's like, verse 4, is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses? And this house lie waste? So their misplaced priorities there. And of course, they continues on with some other things. Of things that were going on in their life. And God said, I'm trying to get your attention. Consider your ways. Consider your ways that he gives them here. And so what was kind of the result then of kind of this message from Haggai here? What was kind of the result um, of his message? In a right way. So often you see in the opposite direction, but they responded right. So what did they, what did they start doing then? They started doing it. They started doing what they were supposed to do. And then, so again, so the book of Haggai is 
kind of set right in the beginning part here of what um, of this time here. And again, you can kind of read in Ezra again as well some other things that were going on at this time as well. And then we started chapter two, was kind of looking at last week with some things with that. Um, so it kind of seems like they were almost run into another problem in chapter two, the beginning. I think we looked at this last last week. Excuse me, anybody remember kind of what that seemed to be? Because it kind of had procrastination, misplaced priorities, but then they did respond right and started doing what they were supposed to be doing again. But then they kind of ran into another something here in chapter two. Anybody remember that from last week? If you look at verse 3, it says, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do ye see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it? It's nothing. It's like, so they're in the midst of building this, and it's like, no, as they're building it, and it's like, you know what? Man, this isn't going to be anywhere near you know what Solomon's temple was. What's the point? You know, kind of thing. But God's talking to them here. And he can, there's some other things. He says that I am with you again. Remember that from chapter 1 when we looked at it. You see that in verse 4. Look in verse 9. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former. Saith the Lord of hosts, and in this place will I give peace. Saith the Lord of hosts. Like God's basically saying, just do what you're supposed to do, and I'll take care of it. Don't worry about the past. Just do what you're supposed to be doing right now. Because he says, this house is going to be greater. And of course, a couple things we looked at, no, that literally was the temple that the Lord Jesus Christ himself walked in on this earth. Verse 7, the desire of all nations shall come. Of course, looked at, in this place will I give peace. Think about, of course, when Christ was on the cross there, what was one of the things that happened when Christ was on the cross? Anybody remember something that happened in the temple? The all the temple was rent, you know, kind of signifying the way to God was now made plain. There's access to the Father through Christ. So now, again, kind of kind of trying to wrap everything up here with um, what we were looking at. From last week. Again, Haggai chapter 2, and then we start in verse 10. But there's going to be two more messages. I mean, there's kind of like five dated ones in Haggai. We're going to look at the last two. They're actually given on the same day. It's interesting. They're dated, they're, they're on the same day, is where both of these messages are coming from. Kind of just to, again, just continue to encourage them to continue building and keep going and if looking at the dates if I, if you compare this to remember Zechariah was the other prophet that the Lord used at the same time to um, to help encourage the people Haggai and Zechariah they're named in Ezra you can see that as well but then they of course have their own individual books here of their prophecies in, in the Bible um, so Zechariah actually by the time of these two messages here had already started his ministry too with the people you can see that from Zechariah chapter 1 verse 1 I think, he, I think his started in the 8th month and these two messages here 
or in the ninth month. So you can see that there. So let's go ahead and we'll read um, verses 10 then to 23 here of Haggai chapter 2. So we'll go around the room and read them like we normally do. I'll start in verse 10. It says, In the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priest concerning the law, saying, If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt do touch bread or pottage or wine or oil or any meat, shall be holy. And the priest answered and said, No. Then said Haggai, One that is unclean, by the dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. Then answered Haggai and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord. And so is every one of their and so is every work of their hands, and that which they offer there is unclean. And now I pray you, consider from this day and upward, from before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Lord. Since those days were, and when one came to a heap of twenty measures, there were but ten. When one came to the press back for to draw out fifty vessels out of the press, there were but twenty. I smote you with a uh, smote you with blasting, and with mildew, and with hail, and all the labors of your hands. Yet you turn not unto me, saith the Lord. Consider now from this day and upward, from the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, even from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Consider it. Is the seed yet in the barn? Yea, as yet the vine, and the fig tree, and the pomegranate, and the olive tree, hath not brought forth. From this day will I bless you. And again, the word of the Lord came unto Haggai in the four and twentieth day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel and tell Judah, saying, I will shake the heaven and the earth. And I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms, and I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen. And I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them, and the horses and their riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, saith the Lord of hosts, will I take the O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, saith the Lord, and will make thee as a signet, for I have chosen thee, saith the Lord. So we kind of finishing that there. We've looked at a, uh, we kind of talked about some of the timeline and everything there. Of course, 605, it's about knowing the first time that the Babylonians came, kind of the first of three at least, and they came against them. Of course, that was kind of the beginning of the captivity there. Then that second time, about 597, that's where King Jehoiachin, remember we talked about him as well, taken captive. Then the third time, 586 is when the Babylonians would come. They'd break down the wall, destroy the temple, wipe it out, basically. Then about 50, actually about 40, 50 years later is when the Persians would actually conquer them. And then it's when Cyrus would issue his decree um, for the Jews to go back. Then, of course, remember, Persia to uh, Jerusalem was um, not exactly a day's journey, was it? It was a couple months' journey. A long way. Um, so it took them a long time to get ready and a long time to get back on that. Of course, then they started the temple. Of course, then we see that it ceased. And then about 15 years later is when Haggai's prophecies, Haggai and Zechariah, were used of the Lord to kind of just give them that push to get going again. And then it, was, it would be about five years later when 
the temple will be completed. You can see that from Ezra because it's dated. Because they started working in like the first or second year of Darius, it said, and then you see it was completed in the sixth year. So it's about five years that it actually took them to finish um, the construction of this temple. Of course, Haggai is kind of just the first little part of that um, in his prophecies here. That's kind of just, again, a big overview. And again, think about the recent failure that they had been in, not doing what God told them to do. You know, natural tendency is, no, the Lord really has to exhort us a lot, it seems, to do what we need to do. And that's what his word's for, right? And then you see, just like them and his prophets, you know, there were lots of prophets, weren't there? God talking to his people there. You know, we're not that different in that we need the same type of exhortation. And think about Hebrews, so much the more as we see the day approaching. You know, we need the same thing to keep doing what we're doing, to keep a close walk with the Lord. There's kind of some relevant lessons here in these last two messages from Haggai that we want to look at. First one, you see kind of the first nine 9, 10 verses is a call to acknowledge. Remember we talked about, we saw in chapter 1, consider your ways. You're going to see a similar thing um, used in this passage here. Three different times. He's going to call on the people to consider. Look at verse 15. And now I pray you, consider. Then verse 18, consider. The end of verse 18, consider it. So you see the same thing. He calls on them to consider their lack of blessing from God and why it was happening. Think about it. You know, sometimes we can get so busy doing whatever, you kind of get lost, you know, in what you're doing. But sometimes God has to call us, no, stop and consider. What does it say about the prodigal son? And when he came to himself, he kind of doing what he was doing, get lost in everything, but when he came to himself, when he considered his ways. They had let the work rest for too long, so the Lord had some things they said they needed to deal with. Consider. First one, you kind of can see this kind of allusion here to kind of like the Levites, and he's talking to them here like in the first couple verses, um, conveying to them, you know, that the sacrifices, you know, they'd been offered. Remember, the altar had been repaired, right? And they'd offered sacrifices there. You know, they probably no doubt continued to do that when they weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing and continuing to build. They weren't accepted because of the sin that they weren't dealing with. Probably, obviously, they had their own very personal sins there, but you think corporately then of not building the temple, what they'd been told to do, what God had called them to do. They'd built an altar to offer the sacrifices, but then they left off building the house. Their sacrifices were polluted at least because the temple wasn't finished, because they weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. It's interesting, an interesting point. No, work and worship... Don't sanctify sin. But sin contaminates work and worship. No, doing all the things, no, playing church, doing all the things for God doesn't make other things in our life right if they're not right. 
It's not a, as, just as you know, you don't work your way to heaven, your good doesn't outweigh your bad. It's kind of the same thing. Christian life, doing all the good doesn't outweigh the sin in our lives. But sin contaminates the other. And it's the same kind of point that's being made here. It's kind of alluding back to like the Levites. Again, there's a lot back there. You think in the you know, Exodus, and Leviticus, and Numbers, lots of things that talked about you know, with the, the ceremony and the priesthood and different things there. Um, you know, the priests and all the items of service and worship there in the temple, they had to be ceremonial cleansed and thus sanctified, which is the idea of what? Kind of what's sanctified kind of mean? Kind of like set apart, made holy there talked about but if a priest or any of those items were then they became unclean if they became in contact with anything that was unclean again there's a lot of different um a lot of different verses and stuff we could look at and uh, everything there but just turn to um keep a finger here and turn to numbers chapter 19 just kind of to see an example an example of that here numbers um chapter 19 Again, because there's, if you can remember back to the whole tabernacle and everything, remember there's a lot of ceremony and things that Moses and Aaron and then they had to do to set things, to sanctify the Levites. You see that a lot of different things there. So here's like an example. Um, Numbers 19.11 says, He that toucheth the dead body of any man shall be unclean. Seven days. And there's an example of anything coming in contact with anything that was unclean. And there was a whole process to... Uh, um, be cleansed there. You see also in um, um, verse 22, and whatsoever the unclean person toucheth shall be unclean. And the soul that toucheth it shall be unclean until even. So again, it's kind of a lot of this, what he's talking about here, goes back to like that whole um, priesthood and thing that he's talking about. Because you see, remember in verse 12, he's basically saying, if there's something, if something holy, touches something else does that audibly make that holy and he's like no but if something is unclean touches that does that make it unclean yes is what he's talking about here so you think of that then kind of the principle the lord kind of continues there in verse 14 he said and answered Haggai and said so is this people and so is this nation before me saith the Lord, and so is every work of their hands. Think about that. And that which they offer there is unclean. So all the stuff that they were doing, it's unclean to me. That's what God's saying here. Think of like the principle then of this it's throughout Scripture. You know, sin contaminates and you know, permeates the human race. There's lots of verses that we can look at Romans 5.12, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Um, we're contaminated with sin. You know, a person coming to Christ, that's the only way to be made clean, right? In God's sight. That's the only way. Think of John 14.6, think of Romans chapter 3, lots of different verses we can look out there and we'll look at for time's sake. But again, that whole idea of Again, Old Testament, tabernacle, priesthood is just a picture of foreshadowing of Christ and when he would come. But their sin 
their uncleanness was making everything else that they touched unclean, is basically what God's telling them here. Your works that you're doing for me, these sacrifices that you're giving me, that which they offer there is unclean, is what God's telling them here. And their disobedience was obstructing the blessings that God wanted to give to them. You can see that there in verse 15. They're considered that their past sins, again, they're doing what's right now, but God's kind of talking about what had been, what had been the case, their complacency, or their self-centeredness, their wrong priorities, we looked at that, their procrastination, was obstructing the blessings that God desired to pour out on them here. You see verse 15 says, and now I pray you consider from this day and upward from before a stone, there you go, was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Lord. Since those days were, when one came to an heap of 20 measures, there's but 10. When one came to the press fat for to draw 50 vessels out of the press, there were but 20. Now I smote you with blasting, which idea of like, a, like plant diseases, that kind of thing. Mildew, hail, all the labors of your hands, Yet ye turn not to me, saith the Lord. But since they had begun the work again, the Lord assures them of his blessing. Because if you look in verse 19 now, actually go back to verse 18. So he's saying all that. Verse 18, consider now. There's that consider in the context there of that. Consider now from this day. And upward, from the 4 and 20th day of the ninth month, even in, from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the seed yet in the barn? Yea, is yet the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree hath not brought forth? From this day will I bless you. Their obedience brought blessing in their lives. You know, since they began that work again, the Lord assures them of his blessings to do his work, and to meet their needs. Think of that principle in Matthew 6, 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You know, that's a very basic Bible principle. You see it in the Old Testament. You see it in the New Testament. Throughout the Bible. And it can be seen in Scripture. You think of Malachi. That's the classic passage on tithing there. God's um, talking about there, no, man robbed God, talking about, but you've robbed me, no, in tithes and offerings. Then he talks about, um, basically, do it, and I'll pour out a blessing on you. There's not going to be room enough to receive it, is what he tells them. And that there, that will rebuke the devourer for your sake for doing that. But again, that principle, in that context, um, do what you're supposed to do, and I'll take care of you what he's given in there. Obedience brings blessing there. So think of the lesson, okay, then, you know, for us. Sin in our life defiles the worship that we give. Sin in our life defiles the worship that we give. You see the thing there, the example. If your hands are unclean, everything you touch is unclean. Think of the, 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 their sense of them today. Think of their sense of them in that day. So think of us. No sin in our life defiles the worship, the sacrifices that we give to God on that. 
Turn to put a finger here and turn to Isaiah 59. This is an interesting, some interesting verses here. Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59, and look at verse 1. Actually, someone want to volunteer to read verses 1 and 2? Anybody? Go ahead, John. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. Interesting. Some interesting verses that it's not that God's saying it's not like I can't do anything, or it's not like I can't hear. But your iniquities have separated between me and you. That he will not hear. Of course, this is specifically speaking there in those in the context there to to Judah, probably specifically. Um, in the context there with Isaiah and Hezekiah and all that kind of time and all that there. But the principle, you can see the principle. And then if you want a New Testament reference, and they say, well, that's Old Testament, turn over to 1 John chapter 5. Keep your finger in Haggai and turn to 1 John, uh, 1 John chapter 1, excuse me. 1 John chapter 1. First John chapter 1. 1 John 1, and then 5 through 10. It says, This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word's not in us. You see, again, the whole principle of walking in the light versus no in the darkness. No, uh, walking in the light, fellowship with him. If you say we walk in the light, then we in the darkness, they're not the same the same principle you see that there as in the isaiah passage not only does sin in our life that's not dealt with defile the worship that we give of course there's the principle no sin in the lord's church contaminates his body you can see that in uh first corinthians he's talked about um, specifically the example that's given there he talked about a little leaven no leaven is the whole lump and everything there um, and then the service attempted for god you think of those in revelation Think of the, of the churches there. God talks about the different different things that he speaks to those specific churches against um, in Revelation 2 and 3. Similar type thing. So the crux of that, we should take it seriously and deal with it, basically. Of course, Psalm 51 is a great example. You know, David's psalm there, repentance, and then asking forgiveness for God there in Psalm 51. So let's look at the last message now. This is the last message in Haggai's book. And again, if you look in verse 10, it says in the 4 and 20th day of the ninth month, if you look in verse 20, and again, the word of the Lord came unto Haggai in the 4 and 20th day of the month. So it's the same day that this second message here is given.
And we'll just read it again, saying, verse 21, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth, and I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms, and I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen. And I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them, and the horses of the riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, saith the Lord, and will make thee as a signet. For I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. Somebody, what's a signet? like a seal, no, especially one that uses like a, you know, like a signature, you know, making a document, you know, by an official, like a sealing ring. You know, you've seen the thing, you know, the ring, put it in the wax, kind of, that kind of thing. So this last message is kind of directed directly to the band in charge, to Zerubbabel here. Now Zerubbabel had faced you know, stiff opposition from, the, from his enemies, and then pathetic complacency from his people the first time they set out to rebuild the temple. The Lord kind of is now going to give a final message of encouragement for him, but it's going to be different this time. Now, the governor of Judah could rely upon God, Signet, to provide all the authority, protection, resources, and the manpower that would be needed to complete the task. This divinely given task, not just any task. And of course, then we know the temple would be finished a few years after um, rebuilding. But you see, firstly, kind of thinking about this, doubt can rob us of success. Doubt. They had to rely solely on God in this situation. Remember, they're not like this big, mighty nation at this point, you know. I got enemies all around them. They were going to have to rely on God to protect them, to give them the resources, and to help them get it done. Because really, think about it, everybody in the world is against you, so to speak, you know, thinking about this, rather than their own resources. So not only did this doubt rob success, but discouragement hinders progress, too. But God is exhorting them to forget the past, focus on now and what you're doing. Think about us. It is so easy to get lost in the past, isn't it? We get depressed on what's happened in the past and our failures. Even we can, you know, you can even, um, we can even dwell on past successes that, you know, in a thing, but we got to we got to move on. And God's telling them here, forget the past, forget Solomon's temple. <laughs> Do what I'm telling you to do right now. Because discouragement can hinder progress. There is no reason to dwell in the past and be discouraged about the present situation. The Lord was renewing the opportunity for him here to trust him, be obedient to him, and subsequently be blessed by him. And Zerubbabel needed to remember the big picture here. Because you think the things of what he's talking about there... Um, any of those kind of sound familiar to some? Think of verse 22. Any of that sound kind of familiar to uh, some other Bible events that uh, are yet to happen? Right? So Rebel needed to remember the big picture 
because you no know, God's work was more than just his little corner. You know, God's had a plan for human history. He was just a small part of it, but it was an important part. But he needed to remember the big picture. You know, God has a plan for this world and for his chosen people. So you think about some things basically, so kind of thinking about all this, maybe God's plan, if you can call it here, was to shine the temple. The Lord himself would make this a great work, and he'd walk in it in the flesh, in himself. He'd shake the nations. One, one day, he's going to judge those who persecute his people. Talks about there. A lot of the prophets, no, a lot of the, a lot of the stuff in the prophets talk about is talking about that time that's going to come one day. And he's going to show the Messiah that's happened. Eventually, of course, the Lord Jesus will sit, as, will sit on the throne eventually in the temple that's built by God. And one day, eventually, on that. But remembering the big picture, no. God's work's more than just his little corner in this world. More than our little corner. Remembering the big picture. So actually, it's, it's interesting here. I actually put a finger here and turn over to Zechariah. This is a, uh, I want to show you something here. A very similar type thing. Turn over to Zechariah chapter 4. Remember, Zechariah is the other prophet that was God's using at this time. There's kind of an interesting thing that he talks about, about Zerubbabel himself. You go to Zechariah chapter 4, and then if you look in verse 6, says, then he answered, this is a, an angel speaking kind of to Zechariah here, like a vision here. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel thou shalt become a plain. And he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, Grace, grace unto it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also finish it. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto you. For who hath despised the day of small things? Think about that. It's so easy to despise the small things, isn't it? Who hath despised the day of small things? But it's interesting. Think about that again. Similar things as Zechariah is talking about here. You know, an encouragement kind of to, to Zerubbabel. He started it. I'm going to see to it that he finishes it. Think about the encouragement you know, that that would be. And it's not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. So then lessons for us today. You know, why do we have what's why do we have church? We kind of talked about that. No, what's what's the point? You know, God's given us a job to do. God's given a great task. He's given us a great commission. Think about that. You know the verses. We we know them. You know, like in Matthew twenty-eight and Mark. 16. You no, know, he's called us and given us a job to do. And you know what? 
he promised, he's promised to give us sufficient resources to do it. If you look in, go to uh, Matthew 28. Go to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Look in Hebrews 13, 5. Keep a finger there in Matthew. I just want to look at something here. Hebrews 13, 5 says, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Okay? So follow the path here. I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. Matthew 28, 18. All power is given unto me. So the one who's never going to leave or forsake has all power. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. He promises to provide sufficient resources to do what he's called to do. To do what he's called us to do. And you know what? What did God expect from, thinking back to Haggai, what did God expect them to do because of that? Did they expect them to say, oh, you're right, that's nice. But I still want to do my own thing. <laughs> what did he expect from them? Total faith and obedience, right? Is it any different for us today? Not. Total faith and obedience is what he expects from us. Because he's going to give his presence, the resources, and make it happen. If you think back to Ezra, remember when Haggai doesn't necessarily allude to this, remember when they started rebuilding the temple again? Their enemies didn't just like sit back, right? They came to him again, like, what are you doing? Like, who said you could do this? Who gave you the authority? But they didn't stop that time. They even wrote back to the king. They moved back to Darius, wrote a letter. And then remember that's when Darius searched and he found Cyrus's decree. And then he basically told wrote back to their enemies, said, here's the decree, leave them alone, get away from them, let them do it, and actually give them resources to do it. <laughs> Remember? You give them money and you fund it. God provides the resources and the protection to do what he's called us to do, what he called them to do. Remember, they didn't have the resources and the uh, everything to do it. But God made it happen when they started obeying him. Just think about us today. You know, we're supposed to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You know, that's, you could say, literally physically impossible, right? To do that for us. But you know what? When we do what God's told us to do, and the total faith and obedience, he promises to provide his power, his protection, and his presence to make it happen.
but we got to do it. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for thank you for today, and thank you for your word and the challenge that it is in our lives. And think of the Jews of old and the lessons that you had for them and how they're so relevant for us today. It's because your word just goes together. Because your word is cohesive, it goes, it corresponds with each other, with itself. And we think of us today, you know, it's, it's really easy to, to look back and get, yeah, it's really neat, see all the exciting things that God did you know, in the past and, and everything, but not, but not forget the past, but forget the present for the past. And we need to focus on the present, knowing the past and what you've told us to do. Because we need to look forward to the future and your picture that you've revealed for us, your big picture. And I pray for us, and of course, individually, as families, as a church family, that you know, you've called us to do more than come and sit in a pew. You've called us to a work. Of course, we could probably define that work in a lot of different ways, a lot of different facets and ways that it can happen. But you've called us to do something, not sit. And I pray that, um, and of course, there's different ways that each and every one of us can do that, that you would help us to, to one, that we would be obedient to you in that. And I know I have not been the obedient that I need to be in that. I pray that you would just work in our lives and help, one, that we'd have the desire to do it, to be obedient to you and what you've called us to do. And I pray for the service to come, that um, you'd be with Pastor as he opens his word. I think probably start in Second Peter and everything there, Lord. And then speaking of just Sunday school and then, of course, the message this morning you know, of your word, you know, as it's compared to a glass, that we wouldn't just come to the glass, see what manner of man we are, and then walk away and forget it. But it would motivate us to do something about it and to change. And pray that it would be that way, Lord. And um, again, pray for the service to come. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>